you've got a loved one, a family member who has been hospitalized under the Mental Health Act, do you think that you should be told? seems like a simple question, right? But it's one with a very complicated answer. And up until now, the answer has been, I mean, regardless of how you feel, you do not get that information. But a new bill proposed by opposition BC Liberal MLA, Eleanor Sturko, proposes to change that. And we'll talk about why that is now. She joins us now for more. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Cindy. Thanks for having me. Now, first off, tell us about the bill. So this bill, which is a Mental Health Act amendment, 2023, um, if passed, so it aims to help prevent suicide deaths by requiring doctors or nurse practitioners to seek further information on a personal psychological history when they're considering whether to involuntarily admit and treat someone under the Mental Health Act. So it actually only um, would affect Section 28, which um, is the emergency part of our um, Mental Health Act. So if your loved one or family member is apprehended um, because they are believed to be a risk to themselves or to others and brought to um, a hospital for evaluation, it provides, well, actually is a requirement, um, would be a requirement for a physician or nurse practitioner to seek more information either from uh, a close family member or the complainant, or for example, they could receive that information from uh, police or from people who would um, maybe they were apprehended from, let's say, a treatment facility so they could talk to people with information about what's been happening with that individual at that treatment facility. So uh, I know a lot of people had some questions about the Privacy Act, um, but this isn't uh, looking to provide a a lot of information about an individual. It's actually uh, giving our um, evaluators at the hospital, the, the dedicated doctors and nurses, a tool so that they can have a full, fuller picture on someone that they may have, uh, frankly, just met a few minutes before having to make this really critical decision. Right. And you, you've got a very personal reason, I know, for bringing this forward. Why is that? Well, for me, actually, the inspiration for this started about 14 years ago. Um, in 2009, I attended the scene of a young man's suicide um, in Langley as a police officer. And that individual... Um, this is a bill that would have actually helped to bridge the gap that affected him and and when he took his life. And so um, it's been on my mind uh, in the beginning when I was dealing with the aftermath of that tragedy. Um, It was um, really difficult. And I often felt a sense of frustration and and anger with the doctors who were assessing and and then had allowed this individual to to go and, and what subsequently happened. But over time and processing and, you know, you realize that doctors and nurses are doing a wonderful job, of course, but they can only work with the legislation and the tools that they have available to them. And so I've been thinking about this a lot and about what kind of a a tool would allow them to get more information. It doesn't mean necessarily, it doesn't guarantee um, that someone will be certified. There's still criteria that has to be met for certification under the Mental Health Act, but giving those doctors and nurses a, a tool, more information that they can can get uh, to create the sort of full circumstance of a person's um, situation. And then, and also, I've heard over the, you know, more than a decade now, decade and a half, um, from people, not only who've lost loved ones, but have had near misses or who themselves were, um, you know, subject of the Mental Health Act, that you know they would have appreciated having a family to have input. So this also gives families an opportunity to participate in the care of the ones that they love. 
Um, and we're talking about an emergency. So this only pertains to the emergency part of the Mental Health Act. And it's when someone is in a very severe crisis and they need the help the most. Right. It's really tough to balance that, though, isn't it? That that privacy issue, uh, the, the family dynamics issue, all of that, because we don't know. Every person's situation is different. Yeah. And there's a lot of things, you know, people have been asking, so what happens if they someone is in an abusive relationship or, you know, what are the kind of pitfalls? Have I thought this through? Right. Of course, you know, there's a lot to be considered. And of course, when we debate bills, um, should the government call this for debate? There's lots of things that we can discuss, especially in the um, when we go to committee. But, uh, you know, I think that these are types of things that can be um, information that can be, you know, obtained First of all, because police are involved in these situations, these circumstances, these apprehensions. And so a lot of that information may already be known, of course, when the person is coming, some of their circumstance. And I think that doctors and nurse practitioners deal with this type of obstacle on a regular basis, um, looking at circumstances and determining best course of action. So it says reasonable steps. So, of course, um, we want there to be it's not just carte blanche to suddenly start calling um, anyone. It is like to right. be done in a measured basis and to, to make sure that we're doing it within the spirit of what this legislation is. And that's to to get the best outcome for a person who's in crisis. What kind of a difference do you think that could make? Oh, I think it would be a game changer, honestly. And and I'm not just you know trying to be um, dramatic. I, I really do. I mean, in my own policing career, um, and I since Announcing my my bill, I've received just dozens of emails to my constituency office from people who've been affected um, by suicide, self-harm, lost loved ones, particularly parents of of adults who they were not able to uh, assist with their care. And I think that in British Columbia, looking at the state of mental health, looking at the state of our addictions crisis, um, we really need to create a situation where we look at what would be in a, the best interest of people who are suffering. And, you know, family members want to participate. They want to help their loved ones. Um, and so we need to try to look for ways that we can work together with families um, to really meet the needs of people who are in some very dire circumstances at times so that we can get good outcomes. And I think, when we look traditionally at when people have success, for example, in recovering from mental health, and I know in my case for sure, it was the love and support of not only family, but friends mm-hmm. and a network of people supporting me. So we need to start looking at ways that we can help with these networks of people who would be there and like to intervene and to provide support and information to get good outcomes for their loved one. Usually with a private member's bill, you're talking about fighting an uphill battle, but this one seems to be a little bit different. It's it's generated some some good buzz, even from, you know, the government, Premier David Eby saying this has a merit. So are, are you hopeful this is going to get moved along? I am hopeful. And, you know, before, you know, I didn't want to drop a bomb on the government, to be honest, um, because this is important. And so I did reach out to Minister Whiteside before, um, the introduction of this bill so the day prior we had a conversation and it wasn't the first time I've had a conversation with her because I think you know people see us in question period and we are often exchanging barbs but the reality is is that we all want to help British Columbians Uh, both her and I being involved in the mental health and recoveries and addiction portfolio is um, you know we really have a genuine care and so 
for myself, you know, I'm very keen to to work with government. I hope to share um, the messages from British Columbians that I'm receiving. So open invitation if you want to share um, your personal story and want to write my constituency office, please do. And I will share those stories with the minister because I think that, you know, we do need to work together. There are times when we can be partisan, of course, and people see it, but there are times when it moves beyond the politicking. And when it comes to saving lives, um, this is what we have to do. We have to work together. And so I really do hope that um, I can, you know, win over the premier, win over the minister, and that we can truly work together to do something good. So interesting. Well, I, I look forward to talking more about it. Thank you for sharing that with us this morning. Simi, thank you. And I wanted to thank you. I don't want to go over your time, but, you know, it was as a result of of being on your show the first time, actually, that the family of Todd, Mara, Lorraine and Chuck um, invited me to their home. And it's been very appealing and an an amazing opportunity for me to to make break new ground in, in recovering from my PTSD. And, you know, I'm really grateful that you had me on the show and I'm grateful to Lorraine and Chuck and their family for inviting me to their home and helping me learn more about Todd. Oh, well tell them thank you for us. And it was our honor to have you on and for you to share your story with us. So I do look forward. I really want to move this forward and help you do that. So thank you so much. Thank you, Sydney. Have a great day. You too. That's Eleanor Sturkel, the BC liberal MLA. And of course the mental health addiction recovery critic talking along her private members bill. And yeah, we will follow this one for sure. If you want to weigh in, Simi at cknw.com. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.